You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, and I am once again uh, picking through the rubble of the collision of media, entertainment, and technology to find a few golden nuggets of wisdom to share with you guys. This week has been a particularly notable one in in the universe of technology, which of course is smearing into entertainment ever more frequently. The thing that I think really caught my ear in terms of its potential, it was a big deal. Initially, I think people read it as a big deal because of what it meant for the oldest business relationship in Hollywood, the relationship between theater chains and the movie studios that give them their product or share with them the risk of putting that product on their screens. The deal that happened on Tuesday between Universal and AMC, the biggest movie theater chain, and Universal, one of the biggest studios, owned by Comcast, by itself was a shocking deal for many in Hollywood, particularly people focused on sort of old school stuff. But uh, I think that uh, it has much larger implications. I think it is a very big deal in ways that aren't necessarily completely understood by everybody yet. It'll take a while for it to shake out. It sets the stage for what I think will be a fundamental reshaping of Hollywood's oldest relationship. The two sides have been doing things pretty much the same way for about 110 years, even amid the rise of sound, color film, television, cable TV, videotapes, DVDs, Blu-ray discs, iTunes, electronic sell-through, and on-demand online video. That old way of business crashed to a halt back in March when the pandemic closed theaters across the country. Before then, a movie would debut in a theater in the U- well, a bunch of theaters in the U.S., usually a couple thousand or more, and many other countries, typically within days of each other. It then wouldn't be available legally on any other distribution platform for at least 90 days. At the end of that period, studios would have to remarket the film to audiences as they rolled it out on all those newfangled other platforms that I just mentioned. That cost a lot of money, and it also opened some doors to other problems, as I'll get into in a bit. Studios that broke the theatrical window of exclusivity risked being shut out of theaters almost completely, as Netflix found in the 2018 and 2019 Oscar seasons. Even some of the year's most celebrated movies, from Alfonso Cuaron, Martin Scorsese, the Coen brothers, and other notables, could secure runs in only about 100 theaters around the country, mostly in L.A., New York, places like that because the streaming service planned to also release those films to its subscribers within one to four weeks later. Because it always said, you know, our subscribers are paying for it, we want them to see it as soon as possible. That didn't work with the movie theaters, and they had the the big chains, at least, had the discipline and uh, the concern about its long-term implications for their existence to say, no, we won't carry The Irishman, we won't carry Roma, we won't carry a bunch of other films that are certainly worthwhile and would have been lovely to see in big theaters. Now all that's about to change. The AMC Universal deal breaks a long-standing logjam over when audiences can legally see a movie on their home systems instead of in theaters. Now, if you're willing to pay a little bit more, at least 20 bucks for the privilege, you'll be able to legally rent and watch a Universal movie at home just 17 days, which is basically three weekends, after it hits theaters. 
Now, I expect to see similar deal announcements rolling out soon, though I'm told, and it's been reported in some some of the outlets out there, that uh, AMC floated similar deals, not quite as sweet as the one that Universal's got. But I think these deals will come, and not just because AMC, which is financially troubled and trying to rearrange its debt, it's not just because AMC needs this. I think the other theaters are going to need it too, and the studios are trying to get to a new place fast. This deal, I think, will be a template for new agreements between all the studios and just about every other major theater chain that wants Hollywood product. In effect, we're jumping into the future of theatrical exhibition, as cataclysmic a Hollywood shift as the end of the studio system. Uh, thanks there, by the way. Go to Oscar winner, two-time Oscar winner Olivia de Havilland, who died just last week at 104. Or the 1948 Paramount decrees by the U.S. Department of Justice that forced studios to stop owning theaters that they also produced content for. And you can thank the pandemic for making all this possible. Once again, it is accelerating trends that have been sitting out there for a long time. The lockdown changed the leverage so Universal could pull a profitable experiment, moving the formerly theater-bound sequel, Trolls World Tour, to what's now called PVOD, or Premium Video On Demand. Families pony up that 20 bucks or so, and with Trolls, they could stream the film as many times as they wanted over a 48-hour period. Uh, One Hollywood executive I know told me his family rented the movie three times because his five-year-old daughter was so into the troll characters. So that certainly proved lucrative for Universal in that regard, and in fact, it proved lucrative overall. In perfect alignment with the movie's own brand, NBC Universal executives trolled theaters, saying they'd netted about as much money from PVOD in three weeks as the first Trolls movie had brought them over five months in theaters. In part, that's because you can keep a lot more money from PVOD than you used to keep, at least, from your theatrical split. Further, said NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schell, the company hoped to do lots more PVOD releases. AMC bit on that provocation hard, saying it would no longer carry any Universal movies. But the fact is, Universal was in a much stronger position than AMC. AMC had been in no position to ban anyone. In fact, they'd love to have a reason to ban. They'd love to have content to say we're not going to take, and they're not in that they're not in that position. They're strapped with too much debt. They've had to undergo multiple refinancing deals to manage cash flow through the shutdown. Most of their staff, including their CEO, were either furloughed or laid off completely. And they've repeatedly had to delay reopening as the pandemic keeps surging in lots of places. Basically, AMC had little pull or power to do anything. The result is a deal much like what I've been expecting for a while. Uh, It feels a bit like the arrangements studios made with theaters to finance the conversion to digital production systems back in the 2000s. The $100,000 per screen cost was way too steep for most theaters to be able to bear, particularly if they had a bunch of screens. But the studios could see a lot of benefits to the conversion. So the studios created a fund that basically paid for the conversion costs up front. Theaters repaid the loans with what they called a digital print fee of a few thousand dollars for each digital movie they then ran on the system. It was a way to manage a subsidy to get in place a new distribution method that benefited both sides. In somewhat similar fashion, AMC will share in some of the PVOD revenues with Universal, essentially subsidizing its sacrifice of exclusivity in exchange for keeping alive what Hollywood still values, the big footprint in the collective cultural mind that comes from a major theatrical release that stays in theaters for weeks at a time. 
And make no mistake, though the theatrical business isn't what it once was, and I doubt it will ever be what it once was, it remains an $11 billion sector in a normal year and a crucial revenue piece helping finance and market all those summer blockbusters around the globe. As Universal Filmed Entertainment Group Chairman Donna Langley said in a statement, quote, the theatrical experience continues to be the cornerstone of our business. The partnership we forged with AMC is driven by our collective desire to ensure a thriving future for the film distribution ecosystem and to meet consumer demand with flexibility and optionality, unquote. I am not a fan of the word optionality, but what she's trying to say is they're trying to keep their options open, and in fact, this will allow them to do that. A bigger film that might stay in theaters for weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe they don't bring that one to PVOD right away. But another one that's a bust, they want to get as much as they can out of the marketing as soon as they can. They can flip it over to PVOD as that thing gets kicked out of theaters and move on to the next thing. You'll notice as I was talking here that I kept inserting the word legally in the paragraphs above. That's because another component driving the studios is the desire to reduce piracy. Streaming has changed the business of stealing films, too, and there are certainly plenty of places making available illegally obtained films and TV shows. That's not going to stop anytime soon, but reducing the months-long interval between a theatrical release and its debut on accessible and affordable streaming platforms will help. Just as importantly, though, this may be the first step in the evolution of the subscription video services that have been coming out in the last several months. Soon enough, one or another studio will start adding those PVOD film debuts as part of the subscription video service that they already offer. Pay a little bit more on the subscription, and you can also watch big theatrical releases just weeks after they hit big screens. I guarantee you, going the other way, this may also be something that Netflix considers though it's a little more complicated for them. It doesn't take much to imagine, say, Disney, who by all accounts is the biggest holdout, once again, to this whole possibility. But it doesn't take a whole lot to imagine Disney raising the very low price of its Disney Plus subscription or adding another tier in exchange for early access to PVOD releases. Just look at what happened to Disney Plus signups when the movie version of Hamilton moved there. Or, for that matter, what happened to Apple's TV Plus service when it ran Greyhound on the same weekend that Hamilton came out? Both of them saw a huge spike. Both are looking at, what do we do with these big, big films, and how do we make more of them? I've seen some stuff, some really thoughtful writing by a guy named Richard Jane saying, it's not, it doesn't stop there. Think what happens when some of these chains close down, some of these theater chains close down. And Amazon decides we're going to take over some of those chains, buy them for a, a dime on the dollar, or perhaps you know a chain that's nearly broke does a, a credit, not a credit swap, but a stock swap. And Amazon takes it over, converts part of it into things like space for esports, converts part of it into a place to pick up your Amazon goods or shop for other Amazon goods within the facility. And then it not only shows its own films, but other blockbusters as well. And because it knows who's doing what, because it already has your ID on your mobile that it allows you to track just as they're already doing in their retail operations, in their sort of grab-and-go retail operations, you know, you won't have to pull out your card for anything. So that becomes a really interesting idea. 
What happens if Apple decides to buy some theaters to layer in for its operations? Because what will happen is then they can put uh, some of their stores inside some of those other theaters. Those paramount decrees that I briefly mentioned earlier, the U.S. Department of Justice dropped or signaled that it would begin dropping them uh, last November. That means that they can be, or the studios can buy theater chains. They can scoop them up. Prices are going to be cheap. Some of those are going to never reopen, but plenty of others might. And one of the ways that happens is how streaming services start to differentiate with blockbuster films, perhaps live news and sports, perhaps other kinds of experiences that all the other big services aren't yet offering. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And Hollywood finally may be ready to step into its next 110 years. So that's my show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be right back with a few more thoughts. We'll talk a little bit more. So what do you... So what do you think? Are we uh, headed to a world of Amazon-owned movie theaters tied in with Amazon Prime and Amazon Shopping and Amazon Whole Foods, etc., etc.? Are we going to be seeing Apple store stores and theaters that do esports and uh, live gaming and do uh, um, you know the Genius Bar, etc., etc. in in and among their movie uh, debuts? What's ahead for the movie business? What's ahead for the streaming services trying to differentiate from all the big competition out there trying to get your dollars? Let me know. I uh, am available on Twitter. You can find me there, at David Bloom. You can track me down on LinkedIn, at David L. Bloom. And I'd be glad to connect with you there and talk more. You can also uh, reach out to me, the service that uh, hosts and syndicates and distributes my stuff, uh, my podcasts, is Anchor.fm, part of the Spotify family, and they do great stuff, but one of the things they do that I really like is uh, make it possible to leave audio messages for me, and uh, you can leave it, I believe, on any of the 10 platforms where you can find Bloom and Tech, and... Uh, if you uh, have some thoughts, please share them, and we'll go from there. Maybe I can turn it into a, a segment on a future show. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and subscribe. I love hearing from folks, and I love uh, you guys doing what you can do to help encourage the magic algorithm machines to keep uh, putting Bloom and Tech in front of you. And uh, that's the sort of work that... Uh, uh, you can you can contribute on. I much appreciate that. If you really like my work, you can take advantage of another Anchor.fm function, which is essentially like Patreon. It allows you to contribute a few bucks to keep uh, this media monster moving forward, and uh, any support would be greatly appreciated. In the meantime, if uh, if you would do this for me, please stay safe and sane out there in the middle of the pandemic. Take care of yourself, those you love, and those you've never met. It is important to realize that we are all interconnected in this crazy time, and the things we do affect not just ourselves and the people we know, but the millions of people we don't. 
So please take care of yourself and please keep listening. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.